Thank you for listening to this week's message from North Shore Christian Church. For more information about North Shore, please visit northshorechristian.org. Good morning. I'm lead pastor Scott Harris. It's good to see you. Good to see those that are online. Uh, you look like a camera right now, but I know you're out there, and I'm suspecting that you're dressed in some form of red, right? Uh, getting the snacks ready. So, um, happy Super Bowl Sunday. Is that a, a, a you know, it's, it's near, near holiday in the U.S., so right, we just got to come clean, admit it. So, uh, trusting if you are a 49er fan, um, uh, you're excited. If you're a Chief fan, you're excited. If you're a Taylor Swift fan, you're excited, right? Look at you, see? <laughs> I love it. Anyhow, um, uh, more importantly, uh, we're going to get into God's Word. So if you can raise your hand if you need a Bible, um, and then turn to 1 John. And as they're passing their Bibles out, just let me pray over us. Father God, we love you. Uh, we trust your Word. Uh, we're going to step into it. I pray that you would illuminate it through your Holy Spirit, and that you would teach us that which you would have us to learn. Uh, and as always, as we encounter your powerful, beautiful Word, uh, would you change us in the ways that you would want us to, that we'd look more and more like Jesus through it. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Good. Fire those hands up. Good. Uh, again, First John, First John. So uh, just in, in review, as we've been walking through the book of First John, uh, what we've noticed is that John uses key words, powerful words, words that are deeper than just even that word as we Read it, there's more complex meaning, more to understand about it. You know? And we use this uh, in, in daily life. As a coach, keywords are powerful because um, they would actually travel further and deeper uh, to my teams that I coach. You know, I was uh, one of the sports I coached for softball. And so uh, teaching the girls to throw, because uh, every once in a while, uh, a girl would throw like this right? Uh, it was darling and cute, but I wanted him to throw hard. And so uh, I would just yell this word, giddy up. And my teams knew exactly what that meant because we spent time talking about what's that mean, right? And, and it just, well, I'm going to hurt myself. I'm not going to actually do it. You know, but it really means to, it's to uh, spin your hips, right? Get the ball, spin your hips, replace your foot, dig in, and then throw, right? To get your body behind it. And they knew, uh-oh, I'm, I'm doing this, right? So I need to do this to throw hard. Good, and so just that word meant so much more. We use it everywhere in life. Parents, right? You say inside voice, right? <laughs> and that means a lot of things, right? It could mean the baby sleeping, right? Uh, you're bothering the neighbors. Uh, it could be from a parent, you're driving me nuts, inside voice, right? Uh, and John does that, and we've seen that in our messages. We looked at the word light, first message, right? That which is good, true, and known. We looked at hate is not concerning yourself with others, right? We looked at walking. It's the daily rhythms of life. We looked at the world, that which is opposite of God and his ways. Last week, we looked at the word abide, Right? means to remain, to stay, to be connected, to be pure, right? An element of holiness. And, and, we, and, and Tyler brought a great message that uh, we learned about this abiding is critical if we're going to counter uh, the Antichrist. Now, and, uh, what he said, he's pointed out, and hopefully it was like, oh, 
law, because we talk about one antichrist most often. First it says, hey, these are many antichrists, and these people that are not of God, that are from within, some without, get later into 1 John, um, that are opposing the gospel. Uh, and so abiding is a way that we counter that. So let me start with a question. And I'm going to ask a series of questions today in this message. If abiding is so critical, how do we know that we're abiding? How can we be confident that we are abiding? And I titled the sermon Confident. Uh, It really is about confident that we are abiding. Uh, And we're going to see a word that he's going to give us in a little bit. So let's jump into this. My first question, point A, is how can we know we are abiding in Jesus? How can we know? Look at 1 John chapter 2, verse 28. We're looking at 28 and 29 to start off here. And what 28 says there is, um, and I love this, uh, abide in me, right? So that, so that you could be confident. And so here is abiding is important uh, because it leads to confidence, right? It leads to confidence when we abide in Christ. And he keeps on going so that you can be confident and know uh, that you, I'm going to read this here. I don't don't want to get it wrong because these words are important. So that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. So with confidence... You see, it's important, uh, or excuse me, abiding so we can have confidence. And he takes us back to Genesis chapter 3. That's what he's painting this picture again of when sin entered the world, Adam and Eve, right? They took of the fruit. And what happened there is they shrank from God. Remember, he came walking in the garden and they hid themselves and they covered themselves. And he brings us back there and says, when you do not abide, And this is true of any relationship, true with our relationship with Jesus. When you don't abide, it creates distance. It creates shame, right? It creates hiding from them. It creates us not communicating anymore. Not being vulnerable, right? There in the garden, they covered themselves. They felt that shame, they hid. And when you're not vulnerable, in a relationship and with God, you don't bring your true self. Right? And there's a danger of us being pulled away and distant from God. And this is what John is warning says, you need to abide, you need to be confident in your abiding so that you're confident in this relationship with Jesus. So it goes to this question I just asked. How do we know that we are abiding in Jesus? Verse 29, look at that. Can you give us the answer? And this is his key word for this section. The answer is this, righteousness. The answer is righteousness. How can we have confidence that we are abiding Righteousness. Listen to what it says, verse 29, chapter 2. If you know that he is righteous, 
you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. Uh, and what he's talking about here, I love John. And you see John use a lot of the words we see in uh, the gospel of John, same author, you know, the born again in chapter three. Remember the conversation with Nicodemus? You see that lifted out here again. So righteousness, it starts with knowing the standard. And the standard, the mark, the model is he in this, it's Jesus that's referring to. Jesus is the model of righteousness. Uh, here's a, a, a silly uh, example, but hopefully a good one. A puzzle. This is, our staff is doing this puzzle and they're gonna be nervous because they finished it and I took some pieces out of it. Don't worry when I hold those pieces up, I'll put them back. <laughs> but um, when you're doing a puzzle, right? You need this puzzle box top, right? Now they start putting posters in it for the next generation. We, old school, we just use the box. But this is a picture of what that puzzle needs to look like, right? Jesus is a picture of righteousness. He is righteous. So he is the standard and the model. So to answer the question, how can we be sure? Is by practicing righteousness. What that means is uh, taking these puzzle pieces. These are all the different elements of your life, right? And taking these and making them look like that box top, Jesus. And it's an endless number of pieces of puzzle in your life. It is practicing righteousness. When you practice righteousness, you can be confident that you are abiding. But that practicing righteousness is us taking the pieces of our life and making them look like righteousness, like the model, the standard, Jesus, right? So practicing righteousness. So what John does is he takes a deeper dive for us into what is righteousness. Now I've got to tell you, I have a 10-page sermon that I wrote for today. Don't worry. <laughs> I've worked hard to reduce it. This is a beautiful, complex most everywhere in scripture alludes to this, some very directly. So I tried to synthesize this for something that you can walk away with, okay? So let's pray for me right now, pray for you. <laughs> so let's jump into this. What is righteousness? The second question. What is righteousness? Uh, it, righteous, the root word, uh, comes from the Greek word, dikaios, and what that means is one who is right. One who is right. So biblically, what it's referring to, uh, being righteous, is being right with God relationally and morally. One who is right with God relationally and morally. Other words you'll hear in scripture, justified. Uh, uh, alluding to in good standing, that right relationship. Pure, holy, now, each of those words have little different meanings, but they kind of point to this thing called righteous, righteousness, the state of being. So taking a deeper dive, and this is what Paul does for us, or excuse me, John, uh, biblically, there's two forms of righteousness for us, okay? And they're interlinked, okay? And the first one is positional righteousness. And the second one I'm gonna talk about is practical righteousness. 
So if you look at verses three or chapter three, verses one and two, John's gonna get into righteousness and this positional righteousness. And that is the fact of being right with God. The fact of being right with God. It's a state of being, a right standing, a right relationship with God. You know, someone told me this years ago and I like it. It says, what is righteousness? It's about being right. Just take that word. It's about being right with God. So there's a positional righteousness. And listen to what John says in verses uh, one and two. See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God. And so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because he shall be as he is, or we shall see him as he is, excuse me. And so as you look at this thing, this state, this fact of righteousness, uh, for us, you have to start with what is our righteousness? What's our standing? Where are we at? Just kind of on our own, fellow humans. It's not good news. <laughs> Just so you know. Romans 3, uh, verse 23 says, is all of sin and fall short of the glory of God. Our righteousness falls short. It's incomplete. It doesn't quite get there. In fact, I think it is a long way off. It falls short because we've sinned all of us. And that glory is his holiness, his purity, his righteousness. We do not look like Jesus, right? On our own. Isaiah 64, six says this. Our righteous deeds uh, is like filthy rags. Whew. That's a, a big word. I was wrestling. How do I describe this? And so I'm going to tell on myself a little bit. Is that okay? All right. All right. Um, every once in a while, my wife will ask me, um, hey, will you clean up the kitchen? You know, sometimes I do that. Yeah. And you could probably guess I'm not a great cleaner, just so you know, okay? I'd call myself a lazy cleaner. And sometimes I'll jump in there and I will grab a dirty dish rag to wipe the counters, uh, right? What? Exactly, gross, come on, yeah, help me out. It's gross, right? There's two problems here. Uh, first is my heart and my attitude, right? Am I really trying to clean the kitchen? No, I'm just trying to look good, right? I want my wife to be happy and like me. <laughs> she likes me, she's awesome, she's nice. Uh, uh, the next thing, this rag it will not ever do the job. It's not pure enough. It is not clean enough. It can't do the job. I could sit there with that dirty rag and scrub forever. And guess what? That kitchen will never be clean. Right? So we're told in Isaiah that our righteous deeds are like filthy rags. Uh, they don't measure up. Our hearts don't measure up because we fall short. And so what we do is not in the purity that it needs to be, to be in a right relationship with a beautiful and holy God, right? So it goes on to this, we need something. And Jesus gives us a beautiful gift, a beautiful gift. I wanna read 2 Corinthians 5, verse 21. And I've got a slide up there, there should be two verses. Um, and because I think, you know, the different translations really bring to light what, what 
Paul's talking about here. Listen to this. 2 Corinthians 5, 21. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, referring to Jesus, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Good stuff. Now, the New Living Translation says this. Same verse. For God made Christ, who never sinned, to be the offering for our sin so that we could be made right with God through Christ. He is righteousness. He is one with the Father. He can be in a right standing with him. He is righteousness. And then what he did so that we could be righteous is he offered himself on our cross. He died, shed his blood for the forgiveness of our sins and cleansed us from all unrighteousness, right? So that we could be made right, made in right relationship with God. It's a word, if you care, some imputed. We're given the righteousness of Christ so that we can stand and be in a positional righteousness, that we could be there. He refers to it in scriptures as being adopted as children of God. We are with him. I love the text we read in 2 John. He says, and so we are. We are children of God. And we get this through his grace, Ephesians tells us. Right? We get it from his grace, his unmerited favor to us. And in that, in that, we get every spiritual blessing in, in the heavenly realms. That's Ephesians 1 through 3. What do you get from being imputed to his righteousness, being in a right relationship with him? Not on your own acts or your own merit, but because of Jesus Christ, you get every spiritual blessing from the heavenly realms. You get this beautiful, you get the power of God Almighty in your life because he loves you and from his grace. So our confidence in being right with God comes from Jesus and not ourselves. And here's what I hope. Before we move on to the next thing, because we so quickly get to the next kind of thing, okay, what must I do? I want to stop us and just let that sink in. It is a gift that none of us are worthy of, but he gladly gives it. We have positional righteousness. We can have confidence in that because of Jesus. And we get to do this next thing. We get to do this next thing. And that's the practical righteousness. The other form that we see in scripture but if you don't understand positional righteousness, uh, practical righteousness will make no sense and it will be useless. And so as we step toward practical righteousness, Romans 3.22 tells us how we are to walk life out. How do we get this positional righteousness before we step into practical righteousness? By faith. By trusting God's promises and his work. We are made right with God, it says, by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who you are, 
Romans 3, 22. It's about Jesus and having faith and trusting him. That's our role. So, hopefully with that security in him, let's talk about what we get to do, and that's practical righteousness. 1 John chapter 3, verse 3. And practical righteousness, is it's the acts from being right with God. And I really worked hard in these words. It's the acts from being right with God, not to be. You with me? Okay, it's so important. From being right with God. It's us living out the right life. Scripture says, and everyone who trusts or thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. And you can put righteousness in for pure there. If our hope is in him, we are with him, then we purify ourselves as he is pure, right? It's living toward the standard that is Jesus. Living toward the standard that is Jesus. It's the overflowing of abiding in his righteousness. It's the overflow. We try to get the cart before the horse. Let's be good enough. Be religious enough. Nice enough, kind enough, say the right words, go to church enough, read our Bible enough, all those things, um, hoping that'll make us right. No, no, it's the overflow. When you're right with him, right, it comes in your heart and it, it just kind of percolates in a beautiful way and overflows into your life, right? And what that looks like. So the doing comes from being found in him. So the doing comes from being found in him. It's us, step by step, becoming like Jesus. That's what practical righteousness is. We have examples of this. Uh, Matthew chapter three, verse 15. Jesus himself, right? You know, to come on this earth, right? And, and, and walk as a man to be an example for us. Goes to John the Baptist, not the same John that wrote, uh, the book of John or 1 John, but John the Baptist, and he gets baptized, right? And John is freaked out. I mean, wouldn't you be? No way, no, 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 nope. I can't be doing this. What Jesus says, this is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. To live out righteousness, this is what you do. God asked us to do this. This is part of his plan. And so we're going to step into this. This is what we do as followers of God. We're going to do the right thing. And that's why I'm doing this. Noah and Abraham, right? Both of them, uh, Genesis 15, 6 for Abraham, right? Uh, it was accounted him righteous for his faith and trusting God, right? With that situation with Isaac. For Noah, right, with all the ridicule, stood strong and built this ark. Hebrews 11 tells us that God said, that was righteous as I work with him. He was doing the right thing, walking out of his relationship with God. We have the same call today, Matthew 6, Chapter 33, right? Seek first the kingdom of God, and, and check this out, and his righteousness, 
and all these things will be added unto you. Right? You know, and he's talking about that. Don't want, don't worry. Seek his kingdom, his world, and his righteousness, that right relationship that he gives us. And live that out, and all these things will be added to you. And I'll give you what I have, as God's saying. So for us, it's taking the pieces of our life, all the little pieces, and to make them look like Jesus. We gain confidence when we begin to think, feel, and act more and more like Jesus. When that puzzle, right? Starting a puzzle stinks, especially after you finish the outside. Right? You can only imagine my world trying to do a puzzle. Um, but after a while, when you put more and more of these together and it starts looking like this, what do you gain in that puzzle? Confidence. That, yeah, this is gonna look just like that. Same is true in your life. You start walking out these things in his righteousness, overflowing, and you gain confidence in him because wait, this is starting to look like Jesus. Boy, when that person came and said that to me, I responded this way. I didn't say that. Wow. An opportunity came to lie and I stood on the hard truth. Wow, I think something's happening here. What's going on? And people start telling you, there's something different about you. I'm not sure what it is. Well, and they're giving it as a compliment. Man, you're, you're, you're nicer. You're kinder. There's just something about you. What is it? It's righteousness. You're starting to look more and more like Jesus and you gain confidence. Then you start rushing to this building. Preach the word to me, please, please. Right? I want to know more about him so that I can look more like him because boy, does that live good. Because you are in the right relationship, right where you were called and designed and created to be. And that feels good, right? And we get confidence from that. So, uh, how do we practice righteousness? That, that, the third question. And so what John does is, and this is where my sermon blew up. Because man, every, phrase, every half verse is loaded with something could it be its own message. So we're gonna read this together and I just wanna give you some, some coaching points through this, okay? Uh, of things, because uh, my prayer and hope is that you'll walk out of here confident in your righteousness because of Christ and excited it about your opportunity to practice righteousness. And that will lead to a confidence for you that you are abiding in him. And let that build the momentum that that does in your walk with God. First John chapter three, verses four through 10. Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. You know that he appeared in order to take away sins and in him there is no sin. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous as he is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. 
No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning, because he has been born of God. By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. Okay, the first thing here is one is to recognize sin and maybe understand sin in your notes. I can't remember if I changed. I didn't change it in time. <laughs> Say, understand sin. We'll use that one, okay? First uh, John 3, 4 says, sin is lawlessness. So you have to understand uh, that sin is the work of the devil, it tells us in verse eight in this section, okay? And, and what John is getting at, he says, sin is lawlessness, the work of the devil. The first thing, lawlessness just means this, um, that which is contrary to God. It's not of God. Whatever's not of God, right? Uh, that's the sin category. Um, and what Satan's work is, is to get us to be not of God right? Uh, Revelation 12, 9 talks about his work to come down and destroy the work of God. Isaiah 59, 1 through 2 says um, that sin uh, separates us from God, to take us to the place that is contrary to God, to drag us away, right? Isaiah 64, 6 uh, that I quoted about this righteousness uh, says when we have these filthy rag righteousness, what happens is we're like a leaf blown away, taken away, it says. We can be drugged away from God. That's what sin's work is. It's the devil. It's on a battle we're all in, in the flesh. Sin is at work in all of us. And people say, what's sin? I'm sure you've been asked that question, even wondered it. Um, typical Scott, I like to reduce things to very simple things. What I tell people, uh, I take them to Romans 14, verse 23. It says this, but whoever has doubts is condemned if he eats. Uh, let me give you some context. This is Paul writing, and there's uh, uh, some people freaked out about people eating certain foods, worshiping on certain days. And, and, and you know, my, my paraphrase, chill out, right? Relax, right? Because we get ourselves wound up as followers of Christ, can't we? Real easy, right? Um, if someone doesn't bear the same conviction we have. And, and this is Paul talking about that. Just settle down, calm down, right? And he ends that section with what I think is the greatest definition of sin, one that we can walk away with. So whoever has doubts is condemned if he eats. Because the eating is not from faith. Are you with me? For whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. You catch that? Sin is anything that doesn't come from faith. That's it. There is nothing in our world that should be contrary to God. So anything not done in faith is sin. So in any area not trusting God um, and what he says, how he guides us is sin. And it's interesting, you know, there's this, things that we all know are sin. As we read scripture, yep, there it is, very cool. That's a sin, that checks as a sin, that's a sin. But there are other things like, well, if it's sin to you, then it's sin. If God has spoken to you, you know, an example for me, um, I started in youth ministry, who, uh, well, I started volunteer 35 years ago, you know, a long time. And then I was a football coach and I'm um, just a guy, you know, I was, I don't know, 25 years old, I think I was, 
Um, and um, did what football coaches and 25-year-olds, right? I drank a lot of beer. Can I just shoot straight with you? All right, let's just talk about that, okay? Drank a lot of beer um, with my fellow coaches. Well, I started volunteering after I became a Christian in the local church, and I, they had me volunteer in the youth ministry. And so on Friday night, we'd go play our game and we had a pretty good football team. And so we'd always watch uh, the Friday night high school recap on TV together um, to see how our competitors did. So we're just hanging out, you know, you know dropping you know, lots of beer and uh, talking about football. All of a sudden, I'm just standing there, the beer in my hand. And, uh, and I won't get this, I grew up uh, around a, a lot of alcoholism as a kid, right? And I, this little girl that was in my youth group, I didn't know, uh, she had an uncle that was on the coaching staff, comes bouncing around the corner because she's spending the night. And she stops and we just, boom, meet each other. Hey, Scott, because we're getting to know each other because I'm volunteering there. And she looked at the beer. And I saw a look that I had when I was a kid. Because for me, alcohol meant danger. Someone's going to get hurt tonight, right? It's not true of everybody. That was true of my world. And I saw the look in that girl's eyes. And God said, I don't want you to do that. So I did not touch a drop of alcohol for 35 years, right? Because again, I was around people say, oh, you think I was approved. We can't drink around you. No, no, God just spoke to me. You're good, fire it down, we'll hang out. You know, um, I'm good, right? It's not biblical in a sense other than God spoke to me and it was no, right? And literally, you know, in fact, I remember 35 years later, Sandy and I said, and I was like, can we do this now? We're out of youth ministry, right? And, so anyhow, so uh, uh, yeah, you know, um, but the point being is, if it, it, a sin to you, you got to be in a relation with God. That's why we look at like the um, Lent book we're doing. I want to encourage you to get to the place through scripture to set intimately with God, talk to him. It's too easy to sit around in uh, first century writings and say, I'm good, I'm good, because he's not talking to you. He is, but if you say, well, I'm not Romans, I'm not a tax collector. But there's these other things that he wants to speak into your life and be relevant. So that's that intimacy. And I just say this, it's anytime your your eyes are off Jesus, it's sin. Sometimes there's just routine things you do. I'm going to jump in the car, run to the grocery store. I don't need to drop my knees and pray, God, what do you say to me? But I need to have the attitude of Christ when I jump in that car. You know, don't run over the neighbor's dog. Don't scream at everybody. I drive my way, right? I need to have, a, a, you know, I bring Christ to even those routine things. Just, are my eyes on Jesus all the time? Moving on. I could have a lot of fun with this. Um, number two. So understand sin. Know Jesus. How do we understand sin? We know Jesus. And not just, you know, know of him in a religious setting, but know him intimately, deeply. Be able to recognize his voice in your life, the standard. And where do we get that? 2 Timothy 3.16, so clear. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable uh, for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and check this out, for training in righteousness. Want to know how to practice righteousness? Get to know the word better, Right? And know the work of Satan, right? As you know, Jesus, know the work of Satan is trying to destroy what God is doing in your life. Um, but God has planted a seed in the believer's life and that is the Holy Spirit, the life that we get to empower us to counter that and to walk in righteousness. 
and we'd be given a model of Jesus Christ. So we have to know Jesus. Number three, walk like Jesus, right? Practice righteousness. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous, it says, as he is righteousness. You know, there's old bracelets. I mean, sometimes don't you hate when things are cheesy, but they're really good ideas? Remember the WWJD bracelets that were just overdone? And so now you can't wear them as a Christian because uh, you know you'll look very old and cheesy. Um, but I tell you what, that is powerful. So you can wear the bracelet if you don't care what the young people think about you, go for it. Um, but the idea, so what would Jesus do, right? He's the standard. Practice that, live that out. And as you do that, you will look more and more like him so that when he comes again, uh, you'll recognize him full. That's what I'm maturing to. That's what I'm growing to, him. It's a process. So a, a little coaching phrase for you. I told my girls, I tell you guys, I try to live by. In your walk with God, do the next right thing. First John's real clear. Uh, we're going to learn about it in a few weeks that we're all sinners. And we're lying if you say we don't. So what happens, you're going to sin. What do you do next? Do the next right thing, the next righteous thing. Do that. If you don't know, go to a more mature believer. Go to the word. Do the next right thing. We get in the most trouble when we put sin in this category of being content with it. It's a habit. Not going to convict us anymore. No, God. Versus what Psalm 51 says, a, a, a place in our heart that is broken over it. Right? That's sad. So, so what God loves is not our righteous acts, not our sacrifices, but a broken and contrite spirit over sin because that spirit knows it needs him. Right? And when you get that, then do the next right thing. Just step into it. Don't keep going out here. Have sin say, oh, I didn't want to do that. That's not of God. My eyes got off him. I repent, right? That's more than sorry. I understand it and I'm changing my ways through the power of the Holy Spirit. So walk like Jesus. And number four, and I'm going to invite the worship team out right now because um, I want this next thing to be an opportunity for us, okay? And that next thing is um, in verse 10 to check in. That's what John kind of, ends this section talking about. 1 John chapter 3, verse 10. Listen to this. By this, it is evident, I mean, there's evidence, who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. So I'm going to ask you to do three things. Okay, right in your seat. And then first thing is to look at your life. I don't know what the number is, all the million little pieces that are our life that we are called to make to look like Jesus. And do you see Jesus? And then being honest, or don't you? Or don't you see Jesus? Because he wants to take that and make it look like him, right? So I'm gonna ask you in a few minutes to look at your life. The second is to listen to your heart. 
to listen to your heart. So what does that mean? It's our heart that is the overflow. In our heart, right? Sometimes that flows into our tongue, right? What we're saying, how we're talking. Do you hear Jesus? But you know this, most of your conversations don't get to the audible sense. They're your thoughts, feelings, and emotions, right? Or come from the heart. What is your heart talk? Here's what I love. This is only you and God. He knows and you know. Most of us don't know. What's your heart? Listen to it. Where is it not like Jesus, the righteous one, and practice righteousness. Give it to him. But here's the thing, okay? As I talk about this, there's a danger. All of a sudden, the doing, the works, our strength, like I'm going to white knuckle this and make it like Jesus. My friend, that won't work. Oh, you can maybe fake it for a season, but it's not where it comes from. The doing has to come from a being of understand that he loves you so much that he went to the cross for you so that you could become the righteous of God. You can be in a right relationship with him. And when you're there and you understand that, then righteousness will start flowing from your life. So as you look at your life, you listen to your heart, what I'm gonna invite you to do is step toward him Don't come up with a a, a 12-step program of how you're going to overcome this. Step deep into Him. Let Him do what only He can do is to transform your heart, which will transform your mind, which will transform your life. It's about being. We're gonna sing a song as I need you. Because if we are gonna have confidence that we are abiding Him so that we can have protection from being pulled away, it will come from being abiding with Him. And we have to be courageous enough, bold enough, honest enough to step to Him and say, here I am, your broken son and daughter, and I trust you. Begin to work in my life and the practices will follow when they follow. So I want to invite the prayer team up uh, at this time. Josh will lead us at some point in time. We may stand and sing, but I'm just going to invite you. Let's take a few moments to look at our life and listen to our heart.